You are listening to the Evolution Exchange podcast Nordics, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordic region. I'm Chris Bennett, and I help connect businesses with tech freelancers, and I'm your host. Uh, okay, right. Let's do some introductions. So, Carl, if you would like to introduce yourself, please. Sure. Uh, my name is Carl Litterfeld. I'm the CTO of Sensum. Sensum is a loan broker that aspires to change the loan industry as we know it to make sure that customers all across uh, the Nordics get the best rates and the lowest prices for the Blanco loans as possible. Uh, I have three cats. I uh, soon I live in an apartment, but I soon will live in the house, and I'm super excited about that. Um, my hobbies include fast cars uh, and some less expensive hobbies, which is mechanical keyboards. Keyboards and cars, love it. Um, Ada? Hi, everybody. I'm Adi Gromberg. I'm the CTO of uh, Swedish Television, uh, the biggest broadcaster in Sweden, and it's even the public service uh, company in Sweden, which is only television. It's not radio combined with television. It's only television. 44 years old, been on this position for three years almost, and it's the position is... Uh, putting production, technology, and operations in the same, uh, under the same umbrella. So we're merging uh, a quite big legacy industry towards the future. I get two lovely boys um, uh, and living in a small department outside Stockholm together with them. Perfect, thank you. Um, and let's go to Pablo. Sure. Um, so my name is Pablo Santiago. Um, I guess, uh, apart from Chris, I'm the only one that is not raised and born in Sweden. Um, originally from Argentina. Um, but I guess, well, after a while in the US, I moved to Sweden. Uh, so I lived in Sweden for about 10 years. Uh, I was in Germany in between, in Finland in between. I move around a lot. Um, so currently I'm I'm in Spain, going back to Sweden soon. Um, I'm the the official CTO for a company called Shop Advisor, which is based in Madrid. Uh, and I guess my background is mostly I've been a consultant for 15 years. It's been a long time. Run my own company as well. Uh, worked at SVT for three years. One of the best experiences I had. I loved it there. Uh, sorry, the Swedish television, because I don't know if you said SVT or SVT. Um, so yeah, when it comes to hobbies, I read a lot. I, I mostly read, I'm uh, old school in that sense. Whenever there is something new out, I just read a book about it. I don't like blogs for whatever reason. I think they're never up to date and I'll prefer my books. Um, but, but he does like podcasts, by the way. I love podcasts. <laughs> I do love podcasts. Yeah. Um, other than that, I guess it's, um, there's a lot of my hobbies are, are basically my, my job. I do a lot of um, uh, working with the computer. I'm a huge geek. Uh, so I, I do a lot of uh, testing, the gadgeting. I just built a 3D printer uh, that's on the background. Probably no one's going to see this in the podcast, but there's that 3D printer that I built myself last weekend. So a little bit of a geek uh, when it comes to hobbies. And with the, with the pandemic, I guess that it's about all you can do, right? Because in Spain, uh, we were confined, uh, so we couldn't get out of home, uh, unlike in Sweden. 
So that's John about Nicole, it. John the Club Pablo. Yeah, yeah, yeah you two uh, you know about it. You know. Oh about it. yeah, I'm in lockdown. <laughs> I can't remember which I'm in at the moment. Yeah. Um, okay, and finally, Joachim. Hi, uh, Joachim Platvarstis, CTO for Node Fund Commission. I've been there for just over a year now. Uh, so Node Fund Commission is uh, uh, mainly then um, an, a custody accounts um, uh, financial institute. We uh, make sure that um, um, our connected advisors, our tied agents, uh, make a good job in in doing their their recommendations for their customers, and we have a, a department in house that that makes sure of that. Um, so we, uh, I am a part of a, a huge, a huge um, IT uh, boost that's been going on now for for just over a year. Um, we've put a, a great team uh, to to develop in house, and we have some some uh, outsourcing as well. Um, before that, I worked uh, at Episerver for 11 years, uh, three last one as senior product manager. And before that, I spent all my time in engineering, uh, working on code. So that's my background pretty much in there. Um, I've got three kids and um, I live uh, with their mother in Stockholm in a house and they are three boys and uh, they are very uh, active, all of them, <laughs> 10, <laughs> five and one years old. So I sit currently in the garage where I'm confined during <laughs> during uh, during uh, COVID. And um, yeah, I have a I have a window up there that I can see if there's there's sunlight outside. But that's pretty much it. Now I'm not complaining. We've uh, we've had a, a good we've had a, a pretty good run during COVID. Uh, we've we've gotten away fairly fairly okay, I would say. Um, I know there's a lot of suffering that's been been going on. So I mean, I'm thankful from like the financial uh, aspect and being able to carry out. Uh, my line of work without you know almost any any impact so that's i'm very grateful for that and then of course uh yeah that's so, what it is life is upside down it is it is yes. yes and you nearly gave me a really nice segue before you because you were saying you're doing a bit internally and we're outsourcing a little and kind of on that note uh, and just like what, anything covid went and ruined everything again <laughs> it did it did it changed it changed the norm yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe we'll touch on that today. But for our listeners, um, we're speaking. We've got four fantastic CTOs here, um, and we're deciding what to develop in-house v buying externally. Um, all the uh, all the panel have already sent me um, some points that they want to discuss, and as per usual, we'll go round the panel. Um, we're going to start off with Carl, and Carl sent me a few questions. Um, one to really kick things off that we're going to kick off with, um, which was kind of which do you personally prefer in general? And his kind of follow up question uh, was, how does operating in a or your specific industry affect your choices regarding building in-house fee buying externally? So I suppose, Carl, just give some context around the two questions. Obviously, the first one speaks for itself, but maybe the second question. Cool. Um, let me uh, let me start off with a, a little bit of a history look back then on on a separate industry from from what we're used to operate because there there is a there is a, a, a simile that I really want to bring up uh, to the table so we can kickstart discussions based upon that. Now I want to I want to go back to the uh, to the turn of the 18th century, uh, which is you know a long time ago, of course, but. 
one thing happened then, and that was that the uh, Model T, you know, Ford Motor Company started out building their Model Ts. So if you look at how was life for automotive manufacturers before the Model T, right? So we had a highly skilled workforce. It was called craft manufacturing, where each and every individual that wanted to join that career progressed through an apprenticeship, got picked up skills of a huge variety, uh, gradually learning the tricks of the trade and becoming you know, masters at their craft. And then came Ford and you know, he, he, he looked at this and went like, okay, cool. So we can only produce a certain amount of cars this way, right? And it turns out to be quite expensive because man labor and efficiency goes down if you can just you know produce these 100 cars every year then suddenly prices will go up so what can we do about that and he looked at something called cycle time you know task cycle time and in 1908 uh, MOT took around uh, one sorry 514 I wrote this down you know 514 minutes that's eight and a half hours for you keeping tabs at home so before one worker would you know repeat their task, that was one work day effectively. So they only did their task once. So he optimized this uh, up until 1913, where he got that cycle time down to 2.3 minutes. And then he took it further and went it down to less sub minute, right? And, and it sort of peaked around 1923 when he managed to manufacture 2.1 million mold trees, or sorry, mold tees, uh, uh, thinking about other cars. But for you know, 1923, 2.1 million cars is a staggering unit. You know, other companies were pretty far behind. And we have some relics of this time still with us. We have Austin Martin, we have Bentley, but these guys have all been bought up. So why am I, why am I talking about this? Well, see, his sort of method with the rolling assembly line and everything got copied by the Europeans and got copied by the Japanese in terms of Toyota. And Toyota sort of introduced an, a, a new concept, which was lean manufacturing. And most of us have heard about lean. We've applied it in different things, but it does come from Toyota. And that's sort of where I want this discussion to go. You know, right now we look at you know, production lines as 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 people working there being possibly replaced by by robots in some occasions, but also efficiency, cycle time, you know, meaningless tasks becoming a, a very big staple of you know manufacturing industry. That wasn't the case at the turn of the 18th century. Here we're looking at skilled workforces. So what I see is sort of a shift in software development as well that sort of brings us back to this where just a couple of years ago people were focusing a lot about the personal skill of each and every individual but now today many companies uh can't afford that they're looking way more into risk management and they've noticed that the assembly line techniques the agile software engineering practices the software framework scrum lean whatever you pick is more efficient, but that sort of blocks, you know, um, people that are exceptionally skilled. It sort of blocks them from blooming out fully, and people that are maybe less skilled get boosted in this sort of process. So, and when going back to what do I prefer, and it sort of depends what I'm doing, right? So, if I'm building a Bentley, 
I'm looking for, you know, the most skilled individuals that I can find. I make sure that they're well-paid, that they're well-provisioned for in terms of what they need to do a fantastic job. But if I want to ship a lot of things really quickly, I'm going to look into, you know, other industries and looking at their manufacturing technique and their optimizations that I can use for my own self. And to that end, I've, 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 Always, I prefer Bentleys over, let's say, Toyotas, personally. So um, I'm applying that when I'm building software as well. I'm, I'm looking to build, you know, only the software that, that really becomes the Bentleys. So if I, if I need something that I know has been already done and that I know is going to work exceptionally fine for whatever reason, uh, I'm going to use it. I'm not going to build it myself. One, one obvious reason I think that we, we all can agree on is that we're not going to build our own database. Like we're not going around there and discussing, okay, should we, you know, take an open source database? Should we buy a database or should we build on ourselves? We're way past that. We're, we're, we're actually picking something there. So where does one draw the line? Well, to me, I draw the line on core business. You know, if, if my core business is tech and if my core business for my company is that we're going to build a piece of software that's going to revolutionize the world and it's never been done before, then obviously I have to build it myself. I can use components that other people have built, of course, but the main sort of engineering is going to be in-house. And I want to keep that, you know, competence in-house and I want them to stay. I want them to stay for years. I want them to be super happy and I want them to develop themselves over the period of time and never require to go anywhere else. But that's not always the case. Okay. Lovely introduction that, Carl. Um, good history lesson as well. Fascinating with this stuff. Uh, I'd be surprised if anyone prefers Toyotas, but um, anyway, hopefully hopefully we don't have too many Toyota fans on the podcast. Um, Ada, what, what are you thinking? What's kind of your personal preference? I think my challenge around what you're saying, Carl, I totally agree with you, but I, the, the challenge what I hear as well, what I'm facing is what's Bentley's core business? What, what is uh, the difference between the Bentley and the Toyota? Is it the look and feel? Is it the tire? Is it the engine? Is there that it's handmade, whatever it's hand? That's, that's what I'm challenged all the time inside my business because it's really hard for me on SVT to say, okay, this is the core, this is really exclusive for SVT because right now when we move the software development much closer into non-software companies where the business idea is not software the business idea is to to transform money to something or or make transitions between people or something like that how much should you develop inside what's what what is the core business for bentley because i they don't do the tires they don't decide within the company that now we should start to build the tires but the software development right now is making everything as a core business if you like to. And quite often, because of the team, would love it to be the core business and it's the core business for them. So I think that's the challenge for me when you have this kind of discussion. So it's I think it's really tough to answer that question or have a feeling about it. And I think you really need to understand what is the core business for our industry. And can I share it with someone else or is it really, really exclusive? And for how long time today when you software develop, how for a long time can you see that this is really something that is exclusive for me? I, I think it's a really tricky one, but I come 
that comes down together again. What is the core business? Mm. Pablo? Yeah. Um, oh, I, I agree with, with both. Um, I was thinking along along those lines. So first of all, the the Ford uh, method of mass production was also used along the scientific management method from Taylor in the 1880s. Uh, basically, it was all about getting workers and then telling them what to do. Uh, that was about the time of the first uh, industrial revolution. We're about to go on the fourth industrial revolution. So it changed a lot of things since then, especially since, uh, well, this is a discussion that we had internally at, at Shop Advisor, uh, where I'm at, where at what point do we realize that we're an IT company? So, because we can be SVT, for example, that our main core business might be broadcasting, but everything runs through software. So are we an IT company or are we not? We have a platform. Are we an IT company? Uh, if I make cars, I can separate them and I say cars is my product. What is my software? It's just an IT department over there. So that's a discussion that it's getting more and more complicated because software runs across the companies nowadays so you could it's like choosing between the brain and the mind you need exactly both and it's not just a department it runs throughout the whole thing there's a book a really good book called the phoenix project i don't know if you guys have read it amazing book um some thumbs up there <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah yeah a few people read it uh, and the the actual example in the book is an auto part company so it does apply to me personally. I think that uh, software is not to be thought in the same way as a physical product because it, it the needs and requirements of a market are different. What the people expect out of software, it's not the same that they expect out of a car or a shoe. I always use a shoe reference instead of cars. I don't know why, but uh, whereas I can I can design, analyze and 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 launch a shoe every six months or a year, I cannot do that with software anymore. Why? Because Google happened and Google started releasing every day. So you need to adapt to that kind of market and expectations for, of your own consumers. Therefore, you cannot mass produce anything. However, uh, Carl was talking about productivity. How do you increase productivity, right? And in that sense, there's also another question to be asked when, when going back to the main question of this podcast. Buying externally, does it mean that I'm going to buy a product that is already made or am I going to hire a company that is going to make something custom made for me? Right. That's another question. Either can I get the Firestone? Uh, I don't know if I can name brands, but still Firestone tires for the car or I'm mm -hmm. going to ask Firestone to build uh, tires for me, which changes. Right. So um, I think that my main point it is that Anything that worked 100 years ago needs to be rethink as a whole because it's not the same product we're talking about. It's not the same management method that we're using. Uh, it's not the same market consumers. People do not expect the same thing out of products anymore as they used to. And, uh, and we have learned a lot in the past 100 years. So again, what are we? Are we IT or are we not? Just, just to push you on that, Pablo. Yeah, so sure. which, which do you prefer? Uh, the methods? No, which do you prefer, like deciding, developing in-house or buying externally? Uh, it's a little bit of what, what Carl said. If it is something, uh, well, first of all, when we mm. say buying, are we saying about a, a product that is already made, it works and it does one thing and it does it great, then I will buy it. Yep. Right? Okay. Um, now, if it is 
most of the time it's not. Most of the time you need something custom. It's like if you're an IT company and you're doing software, mm -hmm. you will probably need something custom. And then there's a million questions. What's your budget? Can mm -hmm. are your resources better than the ones that you have in-house? Um, where do you do it? Do you do it in the same country as you are? You outsource somewhere else and you need to start counting language barriers, uh, time zone difference. Uh, well, there's a lot of things to, it really, like this is the question that you always get, especially consultants are going to tell you depends, right? Yeah, yeah. And this, this is exactly the same thing. As a, as a, um, as a golden rule, what I, what I say is that if there's a company that does something and does it great and it will just plug and play into your company, just go ahead and buy the product. They're probably going to do it much better and cheaper as you're ready to do it right now. Perfect. Joachim. Uh, that, that's brilliant. Um, and I agree. Um, now I was I was thinking of some things to say, and then the the last thing triggered triggered a, a memory that I had, and it was, um, you know, everyone should build a framework, but they should never use it. And we, you know, because it's such a good learning experience. But hey, don't don't do that. Use something that works that's being maintained that's already established, right? So going back to the to the Ford thing, I mean, I love I love Ford from from the fact of you know it's all about you know the expectations like we've been touching on before, and and you know the classic that you can choose any color you like if you choose black, right? So that it's like optimizing. You're 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 cutting down the cost, and you create a very competitive product. Uh, and and uh, you know it's a part of that is also the the user experience thing what, like US, UX research uh, which is big now but it wasn't like ten years ago so or, or maybe more I'm getting old I guess twenty years We've gotta say that now <laughs> um, and uh, and you know listening to the customers' problems you know understanding the problems not you really you know hearing what they want but understanding what they need right so that that's the thing and people having affordable cars is more important than having everything be custom made and then you reached a bigger audience you you know became really big um and also tying back to the to the phoenix project that was mentioned i think that's a great example as well as you know because ford was wanting to push out as much as possible in a short time frame and the phoenix project is all about that right making sure that we can actually deliver and we have we have an organization in that book then that is not functioning properly and you're talking about uh you know optimization focus on optimizing around the bottlenecks because if you do optimizations before the bottleneck you're just going to create a big you know queue of items that need to be passing through the bottleneck and if you optimize after you're going to just have a bunch of idle workers that are done with everything that came along so just focus on the bottlenecks always the bottlenecks right and then of course then then look at all the work that's like a classic those four four types of work i'm sure you've heard of it you know the business projects internal projects uh changes and then unplanned work and then there's a great I don't have that quote now, but it's a great, great quote from there with 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 the unplanned work that makes all the 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 planned work uh, burn with an uh, don't remember really what it was. It was very poetic, but the, it all burns with this this beautiful flame because <laughs> it's not going to get done because of all this unplanned work that comes in from the side. Um, so that, you know, all all of this, you know, unplanned work, a lot of the time that comes from, you know, great desire to 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 meet expectations or to do something to to claim market shares or whatever it might be and and going then into the, you know the in-house and and to 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 then to 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 repeat what others have said already uh you know if you have something that works then then go buy it and what should what should support your choice is 
what are we about to do? I mean, it should all lean back on on the business strategy. It means like what are what are the steps we're we're eager to take? Why are we doing this? We need to you know understand our our plan, our objectives, and our strategy to execute on that. And if it is to okay, we got to hit this market market segment, and it doesn't matter if it costs because we're gonna get a return on investment on that, and we're gonna claim our space, and then we can cost optimize. Well, then of course you're going going to go and do, and you're gonna you know be a big spender, get the best of everything, do your integrations and your, and then after, uh, once you've got that established, you can start start changing that around. Um, so. Again, like look back at what you're trying to accomplish and make your decisions based on that. And if you're if you have a lot of time and if you don't have a unique business model, but you do want to just be competitive, you know, compete on price or whatever that is, then, well, maybe you build it yourself and you you hack something together, make it work, and then you start iterating and make it better. Uh, those were the thoughts I, I had on, on Carl, coming back to you then. Yeah, you've heard some of the answers. Kind of what's your thoughts? I think they're all very, very, very good answers. Uh, and I I like it how we took, you know, Ford and the Model T as an example, pushing forward. That was fun. Um, and I I got to come back. Yeah, sure. Uh, Mr. Ford, he, he did not invent most of these tactics. I, I just abbreviated for the sake of abbreviation, but that's very important. He was, according to me, lucky to be born at the time that he was with the uh, you know potential that he was and actually he took it and, and applied it to his business model and that was great so so for me um i'm what i'm hearing here is it's hard to generalize of course but let's let's play the game of generalization here so let's assume that we have a fully functioning epic development team where there are no bottlenecks there is no internal conflict and everyone is just loving their job then we have, you know, a perfect outsourcing company who just, you know, delivers on time. Everything is absolutely spick and span, and they also deliver quality. Um, cool. And then we have the final chapter, which is, you know, we have the product. We have the product that that just is there. And I would like to make a slight adjustment to that. There is never a product that actually fits you perfectly because whatever product you use or you buy, you will have to develop it. If you look at Salesforce, it's it's like a product that fits everyone, given that you're you know allot yourself to spend a couple of tens of thousands of dollars at consultant times to just manipulate it slightly so that it works for your business model. The same goes with Windows, same goes with whatever. Not nothing actually works out of the box specifically for you, as I've seen it. Um, but let's say like this: we have these three things, right? Which do you pick, right? Just you have a thing, what, what do you want to do with it? Well, some people will just say, you know what, if we have these opportunities and we have a strong development team, let's buy it in house, let's build it in house. Cool, yeah, yeah, but what if it grows, right? What if you can't recruit whatever you can't adapt to change fast enough? There's a lot of risk involved here. Okay, cool, so let's outsource it. Right, but what, what if this company goes bust? What if we, we, you know, their developers leave them? What if they find other opportunities or that we're not the most interesting customer anymore? What if some other customer comes by and spends way more money than we done prioritize that maybe, you know, we, we won't have that opportunity. Okay, so finally we buy it. Of course, now we know that we can't do A, B, let's do C. We buy it and we spend that money and make it perfect. Cool, but now we spend a lot of money. Right. And, and we're not competitive anymore because we're doing it the same way as everyone else. So we're back full circle. Right. Mm. So my thoughts on the matter 
are quite simple. I love to generalize. My, my, my whole career has been sort of built on making difficult things seem simple. And I've noticed that generalization works as a great tool up to a certain point. And then comes the nitty gritty details, but it at least allots you a direction which logically seems to be the right one. If you allow yourself to fail fast and backtrack on your mistakes, usually that goes well. So I look at it, some people already have mentioned it here, but intellectual property value for a company. What software can you build that would potentially increase the value of the company itself? That's where you would consider not buying it externally, but you would consider building it in-house, or taking a team in to buy it. When it comes to those AB, building it in-house, taking a team to buy it, depends. Who are you? What network do you have? How confident are you in you know, getting your developers up to speed? How, how confident are you that you can actually get more developers in? It's all down to confidence. But in this discussion, uh, one thing that, that usually fails to mention is the human aspect of it. One of the big reasons that I wanted to bring up Henry Ford is what you know, the entire movement did to Detroit as a, as a city. You know, Detroit was a boom town back in, in regular manufacturing days, but now it's a deserted, you know, desert. Uh, human value, I think, is important, at least to me, to take into consideration here. I don't want, the reason why I go with the Bentleys, you know, when building things rather than, than towards something mass manufactured is because I want to focus effort on where human actually makes sense, you know, where, where people can actually find their place in the world, find value and be happy. And I'm slightly afraid that we're going towards a, a sort of cold environment where we take profit and business value before, you know, the human lives that, that we actually are bosses over. Like we, we, we change people's lives on every single decision that we make. And I think it's important for us to realize that in this equation of you know, worth, intellectual property, of, of where do we have our opportunity, invest, that we also take into the consideration the lifestyle of people that we change with these decisions. So sometimes if you're just on the fence between one and the other, and there's not big a difference, what I do is that I look, okay, cool, how will this impact the people that have trusted their careers to me? I have a responsibility to them. So, so on more than one occasion, that has swayed me to in-house development. Um, Adi, I'm going to give you the last comment because the, the next three points are looking at outsourcing, really. But I think um, it's good to spend our time on this core question because that's what we're talking about. So, Adi, kind of your final thoughts on this. I think you're on a good... It's, it's a fantastic discussion actually to even take further because I think it will end up in a sourcing this perspective because you can even do another choices to outsource your department and start a company and let them grow. And, and I think they could scale on another impact, not on your market, etc. So you get more options where I think... Uh, from my perspective on SVT, if we take the VOD service SVT Play, that's a scalable service for the entire world. It, it's like Netflix doesn't have that many generations of VOD service around the world. It's scalable. Is, is it good then that I build my own for SVT, Telenor build their own, Telia build their own, and then etc. etc. Because I think it's a scaling in this as well. 
that we need to as well think of the people working there because should should you should me as a TV broadcaster get out to the market to compete on the VOD service or on the content? Or do I need to do both? What is my core business again? And that looks even to the crews and, and the teams. I have software development teams which do SVT Play as a fantastic product, but could I scale that for mm -hmm. them to secure their uh, salary as well as secure my product? and try to, to sell it to other countries, not, not maybe in my tutorial, but in other uh, tutorial to Norway, whatever. That, that another idea as well to, to take care of the responsibility for the software development, but, but even scale, because you get a good human touch there, but I can see it on different perspectives, especially when you come to outsourcing and maybe bring out your own product to the market, but not on the same market and what that can bring. Mm. Your question was around that, so we can nicely segue into your question, uh, Ada. Um, so Ada was um, questioning kind of when should we scale out our software development outside the company? How how much should the way we work with software development rule the way other people work? Yeah, are we changing the name of things we worked for before? So give us some context around your question, Ada, uh, why you asked it, uh, and then we can go around the uh, around the panel. Yeah, but it's it's around my perspective for SVT. It is a production company and distribution company. What kind of company should we be in when when it really goes down to the DNA of the company? And and right now we're going towards to be an IT company. And before that, we were a production company using IT technology. But when the when the software development were spread out. We start to put in the software development inside instead of buying the services, uh, and and we missed because I think if 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 the market been more mature around this, I think we should have a SAS SaaS uh, service more than actually having teams inside it. And I can really see that SVT is a mixture of the old Ford and the new Toyota. And, and, and we are trying to move the Ford <laughs> towards Toyota in a way that maybe not suits the Ford, or I should say the Bentley actually to, to have a, it, it maybe should be a Bentley and not the Toyota. And we're trying to mix that cultures a little bit too much. And, we, and we're struggling in the words around agile production when we talk about the news and software development. And of course, coming back again, should SVT be an IT development company or should it be a production company that are buying IT products to make their, their content and distribution? And I'm really struggling with this question because I, I don't think I should be a market driver for the VOD service, but we are right now. Is that correct for public service company? Yeah, yeah. so I think, Joachim, can you help Adi out? Uh, that is that is a good question, and I mean, the the thing is, you need to secure the the availability, right? That that you're in the, you're in the market of making content that the the Swedish population uh, desires need, and needs that we don't really know that we need, and that it that it's accessible when we need it. Which is, you know, it's great coming from you know growing up with with the two two television channels. 
you know, you had it and, and we, we got a VCR pretty early on so we could actually tape some of them and like rewatch uh, the, the kids shows and everything. And it was it was uh, quite something. Otherwise, you had to you had to settle for for the programming that was chosen. And it was great programming. It was the, the 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 ants and the elephants and all that stuff, and you know that that's put a you know that has shaped the entire Swedish population into what to what it is today. So um, I would say, from from my part, I mean, SVT has a, a great responsibility and a role as as a content provider, and of course, there is always room for debate when it comes to you know news coverage and so on. Obviously. Uh, uh, a certain a certain set of of, of individuals uh, strive to work. Now this goes on a wide tangent here, but you know th there's all th you can think what you want about SVT. I love SVT personally. I think it's great. It's a it's a great asset and something we should cherish. And I believe that the great value of SVT is is the content, is what it's delivering, but also that it is available and that brings it back to you that I don't really have a good answer. They're both very important and they I don't think they can live without each other. Okay, okay. And and but do you know when they should be scaling out their software development? When they should be scaling it out. Yeah. It's when yeah. it's when I it's when my content isn't loading. That's when it should have done it already. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Pablo. But, uh, yeah, we get, no, if you got one well, 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 last thought Joachim. Uh there's never a last thought. <laughs> <in this frame. laughs> but no, but I, I think I think it's great, and I think it, it there is a it's a certain value to have to have the knowledge in house to to not be dependent on on existing technology, both because you can always guarantee that you will be able to deliver it. You're not sensitive to to uh, you know get, getting hustled for the money. After all, uh, you are you are allotted a certain amount of money, and and and, and at the end of the day. It's it's us as taxpayers that that, that you know uh, pay for it. So it's a responsibility to keep it uh, to keep it uh, sustainable, accessible, and uh, and affordable uh, as well. Okay, Pablo? keep it strong. Pablo, been into the business. Uh, yeah, I, I do. <laughs> yeah. I, I have been. I have been. I uh, that's actually my advantage. I worked at SVT for three years, and they were fantastic years of uh, experience. I had a great time. I was forced to learn Swedish, so thank you very much for that. Um, uh, not much English in, at SVT, by the way. Uh, so, but I learned a few things about SVT. I, I learned a lot of things. One of the things that I learned it is one thing that they were doing back then, I hope you're still doing it, but is the fact that you're not pressured by having to make money. Like there is no deadlines. You don't have to have products that sell and it's all based on what people want to buy. It's just a matter of, so there is a lot of experiment, experimenting. The first Chromecast app was, was developed at SVT uh, in 2013 by a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine that was working there, uh, Thomas Anderson, and, and I I thought that, that was brilliant. It's like, what are we going to use this money for? What are we going to use the money for what other companies cannot do, which is to experiment because we don't have to sell this. We just try. And then we can actually help out other channels and other broadcasters. So you became an R&D, uh, like you were using my, well, it wasn't a tax back then. Uh, it was the Dodgers thing, I think. Um, but you were using that money to provide value for other companies that can sell products to the public. It was a brilliant idea. So you were becoming more and more of an IT company uh, uh, by experimenting and being uh, like, this is a public, who would think that a public institution would be doing this? Like would be at the, at the frontier of technology. We're talking Chromecast 2013. That's a long time ago. 
eight years ago. So uh, that was the first thing. The second th thing that I learned in SVT is how do you come from a historical company, public company, old style? Uh, if you go to the offices, you can still feel like uh, a little bit of the 60s and the 70s. Uh, I love that, by the way. Um, and then you merge that with the current way of running companies. And this is a little bit of background. Um, historically, since Ford, we established companies, uh, structures and organizations top down, right? The typical hierarchy where we have nine people telling us what to do, right? And only one of them actually doing them. Uh, in Spain, it happens more than in Sweden, by the way. But you know the top down vertical pyramid, right? We all know I'm familiar with that. In Sweden, it, it, it has been changing for a long time. Other countries are a little bit behind. But nowadays, we're changing from that to what we call living organisms, right? We're changing the ways that we, we structure differently. We don't have functional departments anymore. Now we're doing like product teams and we're trying to be more like the Toyota model. Uh, so, and if you're starting from scratch, you have a startup, well, that's great. You can just go ahead and do what everyone else has been doing in, in the industry, you know, do agile and, and have all these organisms and everyone talks on Slack, everyone's great. But you have SVT, it's been around for what, 100 years now? Um, it's established. You have people that have been working there for 40 years, like, you know, the boomers that, that have, that used to work 40 years at the same company. How do you transform that? That is a challenge. Like I have it way easier. We're only like what 70 people at the company. SVT has been around for a long time, has a lot of people. How do you transition from that, from ha being a production company, structured in a certain way, uh, not having to make money? Because I can compare it with Netflix as well, but Netflix has to sell. SVT doesn't have to sell. It's the same content, it's bits and bytes, right? Because that's what I'm doing. The product is not the, the bits and bytes itself, how do you deliver them? And this is this is something that brings me back to my own company. Uh, our company produces um, ratings and reviews for mass consumption products, so supermarket products, so that you can you can decide whether you want to buy it or not based on what someone else rated it, right? Like the Web 2.0 concept. So that's what we do. We generate 15 million ratings and review for supermarket products. So you will say the content, so the data that we have, it's our core business. That's bits and bytes. That's like, telling me that a video is uh, uh, at SVT is the content or the actual product. It's not. Netflix is the way you deliver it. It's a streaming platform. It's a service that you're providing. It's not the data. It's the way you do it. And therefore, I, I think that that's how I, I answered the question about SVT specifically. It's more about the service that you're giving and not the content that you're having. Now, if your content is not good, obviously, <laughs> if the data you don't have is not good enough, obviously, you have nothing. But it's not as much as what you have, it's how do you deliver it? Mm. Love that, Pablo. Carl, what's your thoughts? Can you help add it? Sure, um, I can try. Um, I, I also have a background in streaming. I, I spent uh, five years of my career at different streaming places. I worked at TV4 uh, as an engineer. I worked at uh, a startup called Videofy. And then Instagram video came and, and sort of shut that down. And then I worked uh, my longest foray on Magin, which is today still around and kicking and uh, building a B2B service uh, for streaming, pla uh, streaming platform that just allows other companies to upload their content and go streaming right on different platforms. Um, in regards to, to what SVT is doing, or rather what I would like to see SVT do is to 
for the taxpayers to give them a lot of money and for them to build the world's best streaming platform and to allow everyone to just see their amazing content and to not think that much about how much that costs because streaming industry in general and i, I gotta give it to you other you guys are doing an amazing job you know it, for the for the last 10 years i've been following you guys and seeing what what challenges you've had both technical and otherwise navigating the streaming landscape for content and for technology and and i gotta say from my personal preference streaming is something that that looks to be way more futuristic today than it actually might be in in effect so you have to cheat a bit uh, we don't have the bandwidth to provide 4K streaming for everyone. Uh, you know, the ISPs are not up there. We, we can't do all of the things that we potentially would have the technology to do. And it's also very costly of streaming lots and lots of megabits to everyone watching. So there is a balance there. And, you know, engineers working at those companies struggle with these things every day you know we, we have new platforms coming in that we want to support we have different streaming protocols that we want to support uh, and and secure availability but also cost effectiveness because we don't want to waste money it's a huge business it's it's amazing complexity and i gotta say we have so many streaming providers in sweden um, available to us both paid and free and SVT just takes the cake. I mean, they're the best at everything. They're always available. They're always good content. Quality is amazing for the bandwidth. Great job there. And, and you know, the, the, the load times are slow, you know, great. Um, and, you know, I, I just more money to you guys and, and less thinking about what you're going to do with it. So, Adi, just continue what you're doing. You didn't need to be here and we didn't need to ask him. <laughs> you're doing a good more job. Money. Yeah, more money. money, more money. Yeah. Uh, any kind of final thoughts, Adi? No, but I, f I think it's it is interesting, and 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 uh, my thoughts is still how much should we scale and should we really continue anyway to do it? How much? How big should a department on SVT be, and when should we? And if we should scale it outside and maybe buy the resources. Uh, Maybe to help, uh, like Pablo was into other companies as well, uh, in a better way. Maybe outside Sweden to to keep our position. But I think it's an interesting way because if you, if I can scale at least to one other company, and and give them a UX team instead of because quite often it's more UX question than it is a software question. And then I can maybe take one, away one third of the costs for me. And that's good as well if I'm a public service company and even better if I have a shareholders. Well, Adi, you it's like you and me prepared this because you give me all my segues. Um, so segue into Pablo's question, actually. So Pablo was asked a question specifically about uh, when deciding to outsource to another country, is it better to have the complete team completely outsourced yeah, in, in order to gain loyalty or generic roles like development, but keep lead develop, uh, lead positions in-house. So, Pablo, give us some context about sure. any question. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is a, a, a case that I haven't seen in Sweden so much. So so bear with me with this one. Uh, currently, we have three teams and they're all three in different different locations. We have one team in Buenos Aires, Argentina. We have another product team in Madrid. And then we have a hybrid. 
uh, we have our tech lead, our product owner are in Madrid and the rest are in uh, in India. We want to change that. We uh, the, the third hybrid team, we want to change it. And because of cost, Spain, it's not Sweden. Uh, we're looking into Ukraine. Uh, prices are about the same as Spain, but the difference is that there's a lot more resources and have been working with uh, latest technologies because of outsourcing to the US and Sweden. So it's a better choice. Now, the question is, once you, you decide to do this, let's say it's because of costs, India, Ukraine, or whatever it is that it's a typical country for outsourcing, outsourcing software, do you have this mindset of uh, keeping the autonomy that you usually do when you do agile, saying like, uh, okay, you guys, I trust your, uh, your, your ideas. I trust the way you're going to do. You're going to decide by yourself. I give you empowerment. I empower people. And then you keep your agile culture because that's what you usually do. You don't bottom up and you're as a, as a leader, you're trying to help and organize, but not tell them what to do. So you keep autonomous or you do a hybrid where you um, you, you keep your, your leadership role, say the product owner, the tech lead, whatever it is, the typical person that will tell other people what to do and then just outsource the manpower. Uh, that is kind of the question, right? And this is also one thing to take into account is culture things. Um, it's not the same working culture in different countries. So for example, whereas in Sweden, I can totally depend on anyone and say like, guys, you figure it out, you tell me what you do, you're probably smarter than I am. Um, it doesn't mean that other countries are not smart, but they're not used to getting that freedom in the sense like, I, I have no idea. I, I'm used to just tell me what to do, I'll do it, I'll go home. I, 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 I never take in any compositions which is great for potentially developing that, but you need to produce. So you you cannot really pay the price of like having someone uh, change in the way of uh, working. Doesn't make sense. So culture, you need to take that into account because it's gonna affect it. Um, Spain works a little bit like that. Ukraine was a little bit like that as well. So what do you do? Do you keep that agile, autonomous empowerment culture that you'd really want to do because that's how agile works nowadays or do you keep the all bottom bottom up? Sorry, top down. I tell her what to do. Just do it. Joe Different Kim. countries as well. Joe yes. Kim's got all the answers. I can see it in his <laughs> eyes. I can see it in his eyes. Yeah, well, I, I was I was intrigued when he said Spain and Ukraine does it a little as well. Do you mean uh, more of a like just tell me what to do and I'll I'll, I'll do it? Is yeah. that the mentality? All right, yeah. cool. Uh, and when you said going to Ukraine instead of India, you said, uh, is it that you said the latest tech and it's a better choice? Is that, you know, is that what you're shifting? Uh, yeah, we're, yeah, the idea is to shift from, from India to Ukraine. Right, because of that reason, because of, of, of more... Uh, and time zone. Uh, and time zone. Yeah, I mean, that's that's really valid. Uh, and I guess, you know, in, in with, uh, um, you know, Indian... Uh, okay. I think we, uh, we all we also worked with, with we lost oh. you for a bit, Joachim. Yeah, we just lost you. All right. Yeah, start it. Oh, again. sorry. Yeah, my 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 audio interface sometimes does that to me. Probably cuts out when I'm about to say something really silly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but but um, yes, yeah, so we we we're currently in. Um, I would I would uh, probably call it an autonomous team uh, that we have with a with an uh, Indi Indian counterpart. Uh, and they have realigned their working hours so that they can, you know, adapt to ours. And they're they're really hardworking. And uh, I think, like you say, the culture is really, really important. You need to really understand what the culture is and what the expectations are. Um, 
uh, I wanted from the beginning to have I, wa I wanted this team to be completely an extension of, of what we're doing. We, I wanted them to feel uh, uh, trusted and to feel trusted that they can experiment, they can be challenged and they can, you know, they, they, they can actually uh, uh, come up with solutions, et cetera, on, on their own. We have, of course, being in the finance industry, we have a, a, a lot of you know, hard requirements. They don't have any access to production data, etc. So we have we we set up everything completely, completely uh, uh, separate, and then we have uh, a CI/CD pipeline uh, methodology set up with with you know configuration repos and Kubernetes and all that all that jazz. Um, so they they have everything just as if it was, uh, and then we just uh, end the configuration line, and it's automatically going into production, which is really sweet. Um, so looking at the uh, at the, the the culture and the time zone, that is, that is kind of fine. I think it's taken a while for for both of us to to actually meet and to understand and to, to sort of um, rub off that 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 old uh, you know habit. I would say we we've launched a couple of teams over there, and and it, and it is also very individual. I would say between between different different uh, collaborators or, or con contributors. Um, some of them are, are were really just okay. I'm just going to write this code, and if I can see this in the wireframes or in the like, I'm going to do it exactly as it looks. I'm not going to think twice about what I'm doing. And then you have the other end where you have, you know, also an Indian guy that that just says, okay, but how does the customer perceive this? Can we have a dialogue about this? I've been working on this. Can can we have some some back and forth and and deliver deliver um, uh, variants? So I would say. The important thing is to be really clear with your expectations, to to have have your your counterparties understand what you expect of them, and I I really, uh, I mean whatever whatever fits your your style, but I would say uh, having autonomy is is the best to to let people uh, actually bring in the value that they harness within them within themselves themselves, and and essentially when you look at outsourcing. Now maybe I I could I could be a bit um, you know uh, naive here, but I would I would dream about having a team that works with us that just feels like I'm happy coming to work. I feel inspired. I feel like I'm adding something. I feel like I can you know that my 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 diversity will add something here. Of course, uh, delivering for a Swedish company with Swedish end customers that is that is different than when it comes to user experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then it's up to us to to actually put people in a position where they can perform and actually. Uh, have have a in, encourage this conversation back and forth that we are clear with our expectations and then make sure that they can they, the the counterparty can can easily say I can do this I can't do this and feel safe and not feel because that's also the thing you have to bear in mind that on the other side there is someone that that lives under a completely different circumstance than you do I mean we 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 have a social security network and you know all all, all of that. If we get fired, nothing's going to happen because actually we can't even get fired because yeah. that is such a big hassle. <laughs> what, the people we work with, if they don't perform, if they don't deliver, it's finished. If they say, I can't do this, then they worry that, OK, I'm going to put my gaze over here and all of a sudden you're out of a job. And that's terrifying. And living under that is not going to be a nice, uh, you know, a nice experience. And some and, and that's what I'm trying to bring with me. And even though. Sorry, so, yeah. so Joker, I'm just going to yeah. jump in there. So, <laughs> first of all, you would only choose an outsourcing company if they could work in full autonomy the way you prefer to work. Is that is that what you're saying? I'm I'm probably I mean, if they could, well, 
I think, it, and it's the same thing. It's it's always like you you can't always have your ideal situation, right? You no. you are the only thing. There's two things that you can you can change, and that's uh, your thoughts and your action. Everything's actions, and everything else is up to the circumstances. Of course, you can you can uh, put these circumstances in front of you, but also. Uh, there, there is always a path, right? You can you can start with something and you can change it into something different. So maybe having a hybrid and then not seeing it as I'm going to control you, but I'm going to mentor you and we're going to build this thing together. Again, being clear with expectations and, and, and nurturing this. And I think that stands for a long lasting relationship because I think that's what it's all about. When we come come down to it, it's not about the companies. You know, it's not about making money to, to the shareholder. Okay, fine. We need to do that because otherwise no one's going to invest in this. But if we turn this around, what matters are the people in the organizations that do work and do this work. And if we have fun, if we feel inspired, we're going to, to last much longer. We're going to, to have less risk of, of uh, you know, churn within the organization because when that happens, you have a whole different set of problems on your hands, and you're gonna have to stop me, Chris, because I'm never gonna. No, no, <laughs> no. I, 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 yeah, no, no, yeah. Uh, listen, we've got four CTOs on. Yeah, yeah. we knew this was gonna overrun. Don't worry yeah, about oh, that. But yeah. so, no, so, so basically, you are choosing uh, that outsourcing company based on the fact that you would learn to understand those people. Yeah, and then select the best way of working. Hopefully, that fits in with your uh, your idea of uh, autonomous, yeah, agile, yeah. If not, um, you could change it if need be. Is that is that basically what you're saying, Joaquin? I want a yes or no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yes or no. Uh, okay, then I say yes. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Add it. Yeah. What What are you thinking? Yeah, and you're on mute at the minute, so. Uh, uh. Now, for me, from my perspective, again, it's a tricky question. It depends on if you should be an IT company or not an IT company, what you should buy and what, what, how would you like to impact the product? Um, I, th I, think, uh, I think we are good. I think we all can agree on the working conditions should be great at any circumstances anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. I think it's like the clothing industry that, that we're facing in China now towards the Swedish uh, OM company and the Samaritz uh, discussion. So I think we should, we should really face that the working conditions should be great. Then I think how you get to the solution need to be in their own culture. That's my thoughts around it maybe. And, and, and where, where should you turn, out, turn the line of what you outsource and where you keep insource again? And, and how should you really see that they can deliver what you need at that time? If, if, if the way, if, if, if I should get into the process of the software development company I outsource to, I need to take more responsibility. And I don't think I'm suited to do that. To I, be I, was, I was gonna say, Ad, so it, if that's something you can't do, is that something, and I'm not saying here, is that something you hire someone to do? Yeah, is that is that like some sort of like localization expert or something like that? Have you used that before? I haven't used it, but other Swedish company around me are using it, and and mm. I don't. I think you have a great point that you work in, but I think most of them don't give a shit about the working condition in their country. They would like to have the software in time. Mm -hmm. to be like frankly honest they don't right. care about where the cotton is coming from as long as it's cotton and it's okay mm -hmm. and, and I, I, I and i don't agree with that kind of thinking and and, and uh, mindset uh, at all but i still feel that 
the the way they do it, uh, it's where should I get into the process? If they deliver a product that should be supported, the uh, SaaS service, I don't give a. But but just bringing it back to Pablo's question, yeah, yeah. Do you think that if you do choose that model? And let's hopefully you are working with an outside company that you tr treat in the exact same way as your own employees. Do you have that model where you give them that autonomy or do you have those, let's say, core positions, which I see all the time? Yeah, I've not seen a different version, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, where you have those core positions back in Stockholm. Which do you think? For, for us, it's not an option, I think, to outsource outside Sweden of different kind of reasons. Mm. If it was my own company, I would still keep the cold positions. Keep the cold, right, okay, yeah. got Carl, what are you thinking? Yeah, I think there's a reason why everyone is keeping the core positions in-house, and that's um, I've, I've written some stuff down while we had discussions, and I just think that it, it boils down to um, that those core positions really needs to know what's going on. They need to be heavily involved in the product. They need to know what the future plans are and be able to steer it a bit. And to do that, you require some level of proximity. And I'm not talking about physical proximity necessarily, as we've seen during this corona pandemic, people can be in different locations, but they can be mentally close to each other. And employment and, you know, knowing that your bills and your loyalties lie specifically to the company that you're employed with is a, a way of, of, you know, communicating that we have the same priorities, that we have, we have no ulterior motive. This is what we're doing. We're loyal, right? And I think subconsciously, if you work for an external software development company that might timeshare your time with other uh, projects or might have different priorities. For me, at least, subconsciously, I might consider that there might be risk involved, you know, sharing and opening up too much. That being said, um, I've done both. Uh, going back to, to Pablo's question, um, mm -hmm. I would highly recommend to have a few core people in-house, very few, that you just trust that are part of the software planning, not in terms of agile, but in terms of roadmap, what do we want to do, what do we want to excite, but that you have a clear feedback loop that encompasses the actual developers. Because I'm, I, there's a Steven, Steve Jobs quote that, that really you know, hits the mark for me, why go something along the lines of why hire a lot of talented people and then tell them what to do. Um, rather do the opposite, let them tell you what to do. Uh, and I think that in the, on regards to where you live in the world, where you were born, it doesn't really, you know, make you more or less talented in any sort of region. You cannot gauge that a certain, uh, because you're geographically here, that means you're better at this. Mm. I think that out of whatever reason we choose to outsource, whether it be cost, because different living conditions in different countries, whether it is availability of resources, as Pablo noticed. Um, I think each and every person that does a great job has a certain set of talents. Mm. And to not capitalize on those talents and not have that full feedback loop where that person feels involved and able to share is a waste of money. Mm. Not even a waste of talent, it's just a waste of money, your money. 
So my, my recommendation is to keep your fears at rest, keep some key people around just for your subconscious fears, but then let them proxy, you know, these talented developers, wherever they are, whatever you choose to give you feedback about your product and actually take it and, and make your product better. Love that, Carl. Absolutely love that. Yeah, Pablo, final thoughts. Yeah, Ade has uh, raised his hand. Oh, so. uh, Sorry, I just I just agree with Carl, but I can't because I don't think that that could be an outsource inside a country wherever it comes from. I think it's clear view. Mm. I would like to add on what I can really face now on a company like SVT. It's the UX experience. Mm -hmm. but I think I need to be uh, keeping in my hands as well to keep the company together. And I really would like to see uh, uh, development with external developments as well, open-minded to the to the UX teams and how I can keep the UX internally, because I think a lot of it comes down to the UX experience. Mm -hmm. And we need to be better to separate that to development uh, in, in different types. Um, yeah, for me, so one of the things that I've been uh, I've been doing as an exercise is using the scientific method or or the engineering method, which is like identify how many decisions we we make daily based on emotions rather than logic. Are we afraid of something? Are we get anxious about something we don't really know what's about? Do we are we biased? Do we make a lot of assumptions about things we don't know? Uh, we think of certain countries, certain culture in a certain way, which might not be true. So I, I, I'm not saying yes or no. I'm just saying I ask myself these questions in order to try to make better decisions. Um, sometimes it's, it's mostly fear. Sometimes it's my own fear. Sometimes it's my shareholders' fear. Sometimes it's, it's my, my chief officer's fear. But there's a lot of human decision that are based on emotions and not logic. So I, I take a step back and I try to identify that. It's like if I give them autonomy, it makes me afraid. Why? Uh, if I don't, it makes me feel better. Why? Uh, so I ask a lot of questions uh, that the scientific method way in order to try to see if this is making sense or it's just me trying to make me feel better or my shareholders feel better as humans, right? So we're going to a different path here. Um, but yeah, there, I mean, I think that it's a little bit of everything. It's a little bit of uh, emotion always involved, but also a matter of a rationality when it comes to giving, uh, you want to do that, but you can't do it right away. So you're going to do it when you emotionally feel that you can do it. So, for example, you started with a hybrid model, and then once you see that everything is working well with certain core people over there, you transfer responsibility. That's mm -hmm. kind of what I, I've been thinking lately. And, and the last thing that I want to say is I totally agree with uh, Joe Kuhn's management style, which is something that I, I try to do as well, uh, which is to remember that you're not there to just to make money uh, or to make shareholders to make, make money. You're there to make people uh, better. Uh, Carl said the same thing. Um, my job, as I see it, it is to make sure that people want to come on Monday morning at work and they want to do it, that they, that they feel that they want to uh, have fun, that it's not just about let's be productive, let's produce, let's, let's, let's just make money. We're not machines. Uh, and I think that when, once you reach a certain position or certain responsibility, you have responsibility to try to make people's lives better, to try to make them be the best version of they can be, like when it comes at least to work, uh, so to, keep, to empower them, to make them feel that they're making decisions and being part of this, uh, to help them out, 
to coach them, to transfer knowledge, to never tell them what to do unless it, you know it's it's a matter of life or death. <laughs> um, I've been there as well. At some point, you gotta say like, "Hey, man, we're friends and I love you, but please do this <laughs> because we cannot go back to mainframes." Okay. Yeah. Um, so at some point, that's another another question will be that one. At to which point do you respect people's decisions when you know it's Dif- clearly wrong? Different podcast that. Different, different podcast. podcast. Different yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna invite two people on who hate each other. Um, (laughs) okay no brilliant well summed up there um and yeah nicely going into kind of the final part um is joachim's question so you kind of touched on it there pablo about um kind of how do you make this trying to remove the emotion basically um and joachim's question was if you do choose this process yeah um how do you choose that company yeah. How do you analyze that company? How do you pick the right company for you? So Joachim, I suppose, give us some context around, have you gone through this before? Have you done it successfully? Have you still working out? Talk us through it. Um, yeah. I mean, this is this is something currently, you know, going on. I, I got to admit that my experience is, is fairly limited with this. It's just been like the just over the year, you know, and, 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 uh, but it's always, uh, you know, it, it tangents on many, many different things. I, and I just want to go back also to what to what Pablo said. And, and it is really important, you know, the friendship and the employment part. You know, we 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 I, I'm super lucky that that many of, of my my colleagues, I also feel like I'm able to call my friends. Right. And I've even hired people I already were colleagues, then were friends and then been hired into this next. And and the thing, uh, a beautiful thing said about that before now, going on a different tangent for a minute, but if your friendship can't sustain, like outlive, if you have to fire that person, if that would happen, if that would be uh, uh, something that you would prevent you from hiring someone, then that wasn't a, a real friendship anyway. A real friendship will always go past all this. So make sure that you surround yourself with people that you love and care about and just have a blast together and then the rest thing we'll, we'll sort it out mm-hmm. um you're coming in at mon- and monday morning is going it should be it should be a a, a joy and uh, honest to god this is what i'm what i'm saying like number one we're going to have fun if we're not having fun we can just stop we can go and do something else because it's not worth it life is so short like that's number one and number two is to solve the the task at hand because if we don't do that, we don't get the opportunity to have this much fun. So it's kind of we kind of have to do that. That's kind of a shared number one. But number one is have fun. Otherwise, don't do it. Right. Um, but then then coming back then to to to, you know, when we choose to outsource and it's always it's you always have to look at the bigger picture, right? Of course, we can we can isolate and look at, at you know, just outsourcing in isolation and how do we mm-hmm. how do we fit with them? Uh, but uh, if we look at outsourcing as in, in, in uh, uh, you know, buying, building or partnering uh, mm-hmm. in, in that in that aspect, it, it all comes back to the business needs. When do we have to, you know, I spoke about this before with the market segments that you might want to catch or whatever it is or, or whatever your your current current task is and when do i have to deliver and how do i have to deliver it and then you you go back to decide uh what's important uh, at every given moment like that has to fuel what you're doing the business goals needs to be there and you know looking at understanding uh you know we also spoke about um uh, you know to 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 know what to deliver and and uh, carl mentioned you know having having a uh, an understanding and be be near, uh, uh, being mentally close, right? As a as a as a team, but also you know then understanding uh, what we're trying to do. Um, 
we, we uh, I'm spending a lot of time on building like a product part of the organization where we actually take the goals and we we make initiatives, clear initiatives to what we're trying to solve with measurable KPIs to understand what we're trying to do and when we need to do them and then break those into into epics uh, like uh, deli deliverables that can that deliver value on their own and they become subject to prioritization within you know the IT steering committee which is consisting of the business itself so when we know that and how we we know what to deliver uh, we we can also say well we need to deliver all this we've already uh, established that this is the way forward to to make these parts of deliveries come true and if we look at the current set of, of uh, talent that we have available it will take this long well we need to move this up and then we look at this particular thing that we are ready to move and outsource. And then we need to look at what type of what type of outsourcing capabilities are we looking for and what are we needing from that from that culture? We spoke about that before and trying to have us in, you know, an extended team and, and those bits. But looking at also uh, outsourcing to build or or then outsourcing as a part of uh, of uh, uh, like a value offering partnering with other companies that might have a similar similar interest to you but they build it and they already did it or they're on a journey that is also an interesting part of that and looking at the culture they're looking at the roadmap looking how they are intending to develop their products and their mm. and their staff and and to make sure that they will be viable make sure that they will be around make sure that they take good care of their staff and make sure that they are they're still there as well as when you outsource make sure that the talent that you acquire for shorter or longer is something that you can rely on and some someone that you can trust and we yeah, yeah, no, no, no. All right, this, cool. This, this, no, this, this is brilliant. It was just impressive. Brilliant. No, no, because you you kind of touching on something there that I kind of want to bring people in. Um, I mean, Carl, yeah. Um, how would you make a decision on the company? Yeah, how would you make a decision on what to outsource? What, how, how, how would you find out the kind of culture of that company? How would you find out how they work? Yeah, what are you thinking, Carl? So I've I've really taken the chicken route here, if I guess. <laughs> so so this is going to be the shortest answer of this this whole session, and I'll pass it the ball along to others. I yeah. I spend my time building my network so that I have people around me that are more talented than me that I trust, uh, and I ask them for help when to choose something. So for example, let's say that I wanna we do a lot of uh, let's take a fictitious example instead. Let's say that I would like to do X. That's a great fictitious example. Everyone can relate to X. <laughs> so uh, I uh, I need people, right? And I want to do it for some reason for outsourced, right? So what do I do? Well, I go to a couple of friends of mine. I treat them to dinner and I talk about it. And they give me a list of three companies each, which they both have had high success rates. And of course, these people that I trust share sort of my common view of the world, my common, we have a common understanding of what it is to be a good person with the good sets of morals. And here we go back to things that we've talked about, about human value, working conditions, long-term commitment, all that stuff just gets boiled down. We don't have to talk about that. We just have the same, the playing field is level. And, and they give me a list of companies that I then sort of know adheres to these standards. I meet these guys and then I go on gut feeling mm -hmm. because it's, the, it's a dice toss at that point. You know, mm -hmm. uh, because they're they're proven, they're they've done these things before. Uh, I come by reference, so I get special treatment. 
it's it's just all ablaze. It's very simple. Mm -hmm. Okay, Carl. So what you're saying, yeah, um, is you get your recruitment right. Thank you. Cheers for that. That's my business. Um, Adi, how how do you decide? Yeah, how do you decide? Two comments. I I could um, for one reason we are on the procurement. <laughs> So unfortunately, I have that. I need to do procurement around it. Mm. On the other hand, uh, talking to Carl, because I, um, we are now saying that we should never hire companies or employees from our own address book. That's the biggest goal now inside SVT. And all three are, of you are saying something else uh, in the new culture. Yes, totally opposite of the culture <laughs> that we inside television are trying to blow and say, never hire another TV person more, never hire a friend, don't build a family inside SVT, da, 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 da. So we are spending a fortune now to do the opposite of what we are discussing now. Quite interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, can I ask I can, why? Sorry? Can I ask why? Quick segue? Yes. Because it seems course. a bit counterintuitive to me. Yeah, but it, it's to get another perspective, to challenge yourself, challenge your ID, challenge your references, get in other references, be open-minded, instead of sitting in a community sharing your knowledge and your IDs, your whatever it could be. This is a big question inside mm. SVT. It's a huge question inside. Oh, there's a future employee of SVT. <laughs> As long as his uh, opinions are different. No, but at, <laughs> then I can agree with the thing of, of getting to know the company because I still feel, depending on, on what kind of development you will need to get out and outsource, I think it different kind of, of possibilities and, and uh, failure you can do. So it's a really tricky question to answer it. Uh, I, I'm under procurement. I'm really going into the school right now saying that don't hire things you already know that you needed. Do do another way around it. So that's uh, that's really interesting around this discussion, I should say. Then I should feel as well because it, it's all of the development we do have a life cycle. Mm -hmm. And and the developer and the teams I have inside right now, they are. Oh, they would like to develop, 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 and not taking care of the legacy in the same sense. I think I think we need to go to a step as well when you need to take care of a product more caring than developing as well. And I think when you touch that kind of products, it might be better to 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 outsource them. Pablo, did you have to? Did you look after your legacy when you left? Uh, I'm still looking at, at uh, it's an ongoing thing that we need to maintain actually because uh, we have agreements that yeah. they need to be in place so yeah, yeah legacy is tricky you know I I, I, I feel you about SVT because you have pros but you also have cons um, so well first of all I'm assuming we're talking about uh, trying to how do you decide when you hired uh, a consulting company yeah. or how do you actually hire a specific person, mm. right? Because yeah. at some point we also talk about buying a product. We buy a product, it's easy. We just look at price, we look at uh, functionality, we play around with it, it fits, let's go. Um, now we're talking about actual choosing humans. Um, I think that uh, choosing a company, uh, it's not the same thing to recruit someone, someone than to, to actually choose a consulting firm. 
right? Uh, that would provide us people. It's not exactly the same thing. It go, but it, it goes down to the same thing. It's the feeling that I had uh, with this specific company or this specific uh, person that I just had an interview with. Um, and in that sense, I think that there's a lot of things that matter. Uh, for, for recruiting a specific person, it's always the same thing. I think Joaquin will agree with me. Uh, will I have a beer with this person after the interview? Like, do I see myself going out and having a beer uh, with this person or not? Um, like, say that you start talking with someone and they're technically competent. It's like, that's great. That's amazing. But if you're Linus Torvald and you cannot be a team player, I'm not going to hire you. Um, and consulting companies or any companies right now, so as I said, we're, we're looking into Ukraine. We, and we actually have a UX, Adif, that's for you. We have a uh, UX agency working uh, with us. And we had to choose among three or four. And the way that we chose was because of the whole process is that because the process represented how is that they will do their future work. So uh, they deliver fast. They were clear. They got our requirements kind of fast. So the way that we work with them uh, while the process was uh, going on is what made us decide, let's go with them. And they were not the cheapest one at all. but. We liked it. That was an emotion that we had. We liked working with them. It was clear. We didn't have to repeat ourselves. We felt understood pretty mm. fast. And in the end, we made a choice. Um, not the same thing when recruiting someone because you cannot, it's very hard to see their actual work during one hour interview. It's very hard. So if we're talking only about recruiting, whether as a consultant or an actual employee, uh, I do what I guess everyone else is doing, which is 50% has to be tech and 60% has to be cultural in the sense of does it fit my culture or not? Um, culture, I mean, well, like Spotify model or they have a culture, they call it culture interview. Uh, so it's about, uh, are you going to fit? Are you are you good at team player? It's like, am I going to have a beer with you after work? Are we going to become friends? Is it going to be good to work together? Do we understand each other? If you hire people that are good at what they do, they want to work with other people that are alike. Like people that are good at their job and they like working and they love what they do, they're probably going to feel, uh, you know, I don't want to work with someone that I don't get that feeling from. So it all rolls. So in the sense, you pay a lot of importance to the cultural part of what is the interaction between either a company that you're trying to work with uh, or um, or uh, a specific individual that you're trying to hire. As a, as a side note, this agency is a digital agency. They, they do mostly UX and a little bit of front-end uh, markup. We actually uh, talk with them if they could help us to recruit people in Ukraine. Like they don't, they're not a recruiting agency. They have nothing to do with it. But since we, our interaction, it, it's fun. We actually have fun. Uh, we, we talk about anything and, and they're just an outsourced company in Ukraine. They're helping us out to set up um, actual contracts with people in Ukraine. So they're, they're just helping us out. Of course, mm. not for free, but at least it was something that came up uh, and they were like, yeah, sure, we'll help you out. And they help us a big deal. And that's because of the interaction that we have with them. It's all about human connection in the end, right? Mm. Joking, I'm going to give you the final thoughts to this uh, session. To the whole session? Wow. Well, on, the, on, no, this, the, on this particular Exactly, issue. on this particular one. Well, I uh, just to, yeah, well, I have the opportunity. I, I've really enjoyed hearing 
everybody talk here. I think it's been super rewarding. And you know, through throughout the this whole thing, I've I've uh, you know, it, it is clear to me, you know, the what the 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 humans that do these things that that you know that's the thing that that's what, mm. what we're doing and and i really i i like uh, Addis uh thing about the procurement part in in one way because it, it it is a challenge because you know the stranger is just a friend you haven't met that is also the thing and i do take that into consideration i've i've gotten a beat in uh, uh mentally by uh, by uh, uh, my better half about my hiring process because it really sucks because i already knew like i had some top talent that i really knew was like the ace and i they they came along and i'm like the happiest uh, you know guy for it um, but now looking at like I, I managed to get the people I wanted now looking for the next that's definitely going to be we need to have the best best person for the job that's it and then when it comes to the hiring I mean we, we can start with the hiring we're going to go to the outsourcing because that's the question you want me to actually <laughs> develop more but, <laughs> but and uh, I do respect uh, that it is something that that uh, you are able to help people with in a really good way uh, so that that is that is excellent. But the, but it goes the same for both for the outsourcing part and and the well the recruitment bits as well um, where where it is uh, it was trying you know trying to prep for this role I listened to a, a ton of podcasts to get you know to hear some great minds because I think there are so many great minds out there and there are many podcasts where people actually speak those great nuggets of of truth and wisdom and it was about growing the teams and it, it, it's about when you hire someone, you should come back from that interview or from that from that meeting, and you should feel, wow, this person is like the best. It's, it outshines uh, everyone in the team. The team is like, this is this is fantastic. That's a yes. Is it like, yeah, this was a good. We could probably make it work. Yeah, and and that I don't remember what the company was, but the way they stayed excellent in their team was to never settle for just trying to make it work it should be someone that just feels amazing this is someone mm. that comes in that's just going to take the team to a new level that's going to also raise the level of the rest of the team that's what you want right because then uh, i spoke about this with with a colleague of mine this morning we've done we've recently done our our uh, annual reviews the first ones and it, it's been great it's been it's been great to have that moment to sit down and just connect and be able to to do that and in that we, we also discussed you know how the team changes uh, and if you do it and you extend it with outsourcing or if you have it in-house, it's always you have the humans that, that uh, collaborate. So then you have I wrote it down so I would 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 remember it. But you had the, um, uh, the forming, storming, normalizing and performing. Right. So so you, you and every time you, you insert a new talent into a team, you go back a few steps. Right. So you mm. you, you you find where you fit and how you work. Yeah. Uh, which which is, uh, you know, an amazing part and, and, and brings out new sides and, and all that. And looking also at, at uh, I'm, I'm really a big fan of Simon Sinek. He's talking also about, uh, you know, the high performance versus high trust. You know, you have that on the on the scales. And m a lot of the time we look at the high performers, but a high performer performer with a low trust will be a toxic teammate. They will do really well, but they will be they won't be good for the team it's, uh, itself. You, the, he said, also, I trust you with my life, but I don't trust you with my money or my wife. Right. So that's the thing. So you would you would actually rather um, employ someone or, or work with someone that is a lower performer, but that is high in trust. And that I think I, I feel that should be no different in outsourcing because I want to be able to feel like, OK, I, I work with you guys. I know 
who you are and you're clear with me and I can trust you that you come to me. I can trust you that what we speak about will be done and I trust you that you will do the best thing that you can. I don't need to be there. I actually shouldn't be there. I shouldn't be involved. We, could, we should be able to have that kind of trust. And that also comes to, you know, when looking at the original question, what do we look at? Looking at that company, what is their trajectory? What have they been doing? Do they have churn? What does it? What does the culture seem like? And and uh, can I trust that uh, the talent there will be available for the journey that I hope that we embark on together? Perfect. We're going to stop there, yeah, because we're going to go into Lord of the Rings territory if yeah. we go any further. Yeah, but no, that's amazing. Yeah, I I, I, I always sum up. Um, the podcast we do on the Stockholm Tech podcast. Um, and I wrote three words that kind of summarizes um, you individuals. Um, passionate, knowledgeable, and fascinating. It's, it was really incredible listening to you all. Uh, and thanks for joining me today.